All right, so we're going to be in, we're moving through the book of Acts, slowly but surely. And we're going to be uh, finishing Acts 21, hopefully. We'll see. But there are some, I don't know, I watch, um, I watch Charles Stanley before I, I come to church in the morning. You know, he's a, he's a, you know, he's really an interesting guy. I've read a bunch of his books. And he always gets me thinking about, you know, especially this morning, he got me thinking um, just about the heart that, you know, the early Christians had, the determination that they had, the, you know, just the, the love for the word of God and, and to serve the Lord. And, you know, reading through the book of Acts, I mean, that just jumps out at you, how the church functioned uh, back then and how it functions today and just looking at Paul's life and um, the folks that are around him as we look at this today or tonight, that um, I hope you see that underlying force, if you will, is just their commitment to the gospel, their commitment to um, the call that God had on their lives, and they weren't going to be persuaded otherwise. And it's really challenging, um, for me at least, especially with the times that we live. You know, we're living in times where the church is, you know, is being called out in a sense. You know, the, the challenge is there. Is the word of God real or isn't it? Pastor Rob mentioned that this morning. You know, there's a lot at stake. And there was a lot at stake back then. But I'll tell you what, reading through the book of Acts, you wouldn't sense it, you know, in, you know, the church that much because they were just doing what God called them to do. And whatever was going on around them, they managed to just push through it and get the gospel message out. So, as we look at um, this tonight, keep that in the back of your mind. So let's, um, I want to just get, kind of give you a little background to where we're at. In Acts 19, you know, Paul was at Ephesus. Started out good. Um, you know, they, some saints got filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Things were going good, and then, um, you know, Paul's message started to hit at the pocketbook of the merchants. There's this huge riot uh, because of it in Ephesus. So Paul, um, in Acts 20, leaves Ephesus, ends up in Corinth for uh, three months, writes the book of Romans there. Then he, now keep in mind, we, we remember he's on his way to Jerusalem, hopefully now for Pentecost. So he's trying to make his way back. He's taken a collection for the church, uh, from the Gentile churches to, you know, the church in Jerusalem. So in Acts 20, he leaves Ephesus, ends up in Corinth, works his way through uh, Macedonia, Troas. Um, that's where Eutychus falls out the window. Paul prays for him. He raises him back up. Uh, Paul is in Miletus exhorting the Ephesian elders, um, working his way back to Jerusalem. And up to this point in Acts 21, um, Paul ends up in Tyre. Once again, another warning from the church there not to go to Jerusalem, that, you know, nothing good is waiting for him in Jerusalem. Um, but, you know, Paul is determined to go. And something that Another thing um, that hopefully sticks out is, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of conversation about should Paul have done this or 
should he have done this or should he, you know, was he really supposed to go to Jerusalem? And one thing that I find interesting is, you know, we see these things um, develop through the book of Acts and then we really see God's plan unfold and then we see, all right, was it a good decision or wasn't it? And isn't it a lot like our lives? You know, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord, God puts something in our heart and we don't know for sure if this is the way to go, but how else do you find out except by staying the course and keep walking? Just keep, as the Lord leads, you keep following. And it's really cool because you see that in the book of Acts. God puts something on their hearts. They, okay, Lord, and they start going in that direction. And it might not be what they thought it was going to be or how it was going to turn out. But God's hand was in it. And we know, like, you know, this is like a spoiler alert. Um, we know that Paul is going to end up in Rome. But if you, only, if you hadn't read past this point of the book of Acts, you would have no idea how he was going to get there. Paul knew he was going to be in Rome, but he had no idea how he was going to get there. All he did was put, he lived one day out at a time. Okay, this is what the Lord's got for me today, and he's living it out. You know, seeking God's guidance, but always trusting him. So, and we're going to see that as, especially as the book unfolds now. So we left off, actually, we're going to pick up in, in verse 15 of chapter 21. But let me read, um, let me read verses 12 through 14. And I really want you to see Paul's determination, um, his heart in this. And then uh, I'm going to read a couple other verses out of Corinthians, and then we'll get into the text. But in Acts 21, uh, verses 12 through 14, now this is once again, this is Agabus, is, you know, they're, they're in Caesarea, they're in the house of Philip, one of the original seven guys that were called out in Acts chapter 6. Philip's got four prophetess daughters, and we talked about this last time, you know, this reunion between Paul and Philip. The last time that Philip saw Paul, he was Saul. And he had just consented to the death of Stephen. So they have this reunion, which probably was a pretty interesting time. But Agabus comes down, and he once again, he ties Paul up and says, hey, this is what's going to happen to the guy who owns this robe. So Paul knows it's another, you better not go, but Paul's determined to go. And we see this in Acts 21, verses 12 through 14. It says, now when we, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him, Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, excuse me, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the Lord's will be done. You know, they, had, they knew that something bad was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem. They didn't know what it was, but Paul knew in his heart that that's where God wanted him to be. And it didn't make a difference what was going to happen there because Paul knew that, hey, they told Jesus not to go to Jerusalem, right? And he was crucified. But look at what happened with that, the results of that. So Paul is determined uh, to go. And, you know, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 
probably two years before this. But listen, here's Paul's heart, his determination. And I pray that, um, you know, that this is where we're at. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I think we're all familiar with this verse. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, this is already in Paul's heart. All this stuff is going on, and this is what's in his heart. Hey, I'm, I'm just going forward. It doesn't make any difference. I'm going forward. And I pray that's, that's your heart today. As we you know, the, the environment that we live in, that you're determined, that regardless, you know, that God is going to make a way, God is going to lead, and God is going to guide, and we're going to be steadfast and immovable in that. Because there's a... There's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of believers that are folding to the pressure. You know, listen to this, listen to this morning's service about some of, the church, some of the things that churches are accepting today that are so anti-biblical. Guys, we need to be steadfast. We need to be immovable. No, nobody should be able to move us off the word of God. Shouldn't happen. Can't happen. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 6, Paul says, We have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, Paul was determined in his heart to just keep moving forward in the will of God. And, you know, guys, that's, that's our heart. So let's pick it up in verse 15, uh, chapter 21. And I, I look at, um, you know, when we did this with the seniors, because, you know, you can't go through the whole book in one night, right? So this is like watching a, a TV series. So last week... We just went through the previews of what happened last week. Paul is with Agabus. He gets this news about not going to Jerusalem. And now a week has happened. We turned on the TV, and so here we are back. And um, we're going to be in Jerusalem. But it's just the way this whole thing just flows. But that, now you can see the way I kind of filter through things. But anyway, here we are. It says, after those days, we packed up. And went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went out with us. And brought with them a certain Manson of Cyprus. An early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem the brethren received us gladly. And on the following day Paul went in with us to James. And all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them. He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. 
So, you know, we think fake news ended or started with Donald Trump, but, you know, this is not true. Paul, um, we're going to look at this. Paul never said any of that. So it's just interesting. Now, and this is where I, I start to think in my mind, okay, so now Paul is moving into this situation. We're going to see that um, James and the leadership in Jerusalem are going to ask him to do, um, they want him to do something to kind of appease the Jews, the believing Jews. So it's, it's just going to be interesting to see the way this unfolds. So is this what God really wants them to do or isn't it? Or does it make any difference because whatever is going to, the way the outcome is, Paul is still going to end up where he needs to be. So, and this stuff, you know, when you're reading through the book of Acts and maybe going through this later again, think about that. You know, how, how God is, is shaping things and how things look, but how quickly they could change. So in verse 15, you know, finally, they've, you know, they've, they finally are going to get to Jerusalem. They pack up. It's a two-day trip, about 62 miles. And um, Manson uh, of Cyprus, he was one of the early saints, and some commentators believe he was one of the original 120 in the upper room, one of those. And, um, I, you know, I couldn't find any definitive. It was um, a speculation. But um, he housed the guys on their way down to, on their way up to Jerusalem. And... I wanted to um, highlight the guys um, that are with Paul. It says in verse 17, and when we, now that's Luke plus all of the guys that have been on this trip, had come to Jerusalem, um, the brethren received us gladly. So, and they're meeting with James, and they're meeting with all of the leaders of the church really in Jerusalem. And this is another one of those meetings that I would love to be in. I mean, think about what it was like when Philip and Paul got together. But now here is Paul, Luke, and these group of men from the Gentile churches that Paul started, not to mention the leadership in the Jerusalem church, James. You know, and, you know, we, we, you know we think of James, but, I mean, keep in mind, he, his brother was Jesus. When he got saved, think of the influence after recalling all of the conversations and growing up with Jesus. You know, that character and everything that, you know, that James saw firsthand. You know, was John there? It doesn't say. Who, who else was there out of the disciples or the apostles? But what a time that must have been, just coming together, right? And it says that in verse 19 that, um, when Paul shared, he, he shared in great detail. And, it, you know, think about the, the things that Paul shared with these men. You know, and it isn't like they could have, you know, seen things on the news or, I mean, this is like this, the information that they're getting from Paul, this could, some of this could be firsthand information. First time they ever heard it of what God is doing in the Gentile churches. I mean, this is, you know, one of those hallmarks in church history. To think, you know, that, you know, James is, is listening, finally hearing just from Paul what had gone on. So I really, I really believe it had to really be an awesome time. You know, and you almost wish that they could have recorded that. You know, we, we enjoy listening to teachings and watching our favorite pastors online. But could you imagine if this was recorded? 
Paul giving a detail, sharing his heart, how the Gentiles were getting saved and coming to the Lord, and you know how the church in Antioch is just busting at the seams, and just what God is doing, healing. Oh, you know, you know, James, you wouldn't believe it. We were just in in Troas, and this young kid Eutychus fell out the window, and God raised him from the dead. You know, the Bible study went all night. I mean, just the time they must have had was, at least in my own estimation, I think that would really be cool. And then think about it. Now, the Gentiles that were with them, did they share their testimony? Did they, did they have some input? You know, James, hey, guys, you know, it was amazing how God spoke to our hearts, and we just, um, just surrendered our lives to the Lord. And, you know, my cousin, my wife, my family, my whole, you know, just think of it. Uh, Acts chapter 16, the jailer, his whole family gets saved. That was the norm. So it must have been a really cool meeting. You know, and uh, it's exciting to me to just think of how, how that could have just played out. But let's move on. Let's move on. These guys, I want, and why I want to just mention their name is because these men... They knew what Paul, they knew they were there. They knew the prophecies. They knew what people were saying about, Paul, what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem? Now, I, I guess I wouldn't have held it against one of the guys if they said, hey, that's a, it's a little much for me. Because if, you know, I was with you in Ephesus and, you know, if we didn't get out of there quick enough, they would have hung all of us or whatever. Right? You know, to follow Paul to Jerusalem for these men just showed their commitment to the gospel, their commitment to Paul and to the church. Because it was no cakewalk. It wasn't like, uh, hey, hey, we're going to Maryland for a pastor's retreat. It's going to be great. You know, three days, you know, just kind of kicking back, just hearing teachings. No, you know, these guys were saying, when they're saying, Paul, we're with you, they're putting their life on the line for the Lord, for the ministry. Sold out. That's, that's what sold out is. Knowing that you're going someplace and chances are they're going to arrest and maybe crucify the guy that is your leader. So these guys, and I'll probably butcher some of their names, but it's worth mentioning. It's worth men mentioning their names. Sopater of Berea. Um, a relative of Paul mentions him in Romans 16.21. Aristarchus of Thessalonica, um, he was almost got killed in the riot in Ephesus. So here's a guy that firsthand understands the cost. He's still with Paul. And obviously from Thessalonica. Got saved when Paul came into Thessalonica. Segundus, a native of Thessalonica, another one. He accompanied Paul as far as Asia to Troas and Miletus. Caius of Derby, Timothy, of course we all know Timothy, Tychicus, a native of Asia Minor. Uh, he probably did some speculation if he went all the way to Jerusalem. There's some thought that he stayed in Miletus. And then Trimotheus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and we're going to read more about him in a couple more verses. So these men... Um, you know, just just a few men of, you know, the kind of caliber of men that were in that first century church. So it would have been great if the chapter ended there. 
and then, you know, but it doesn't, okay? The chapter is going to go on, and this is really, um, where it's really, it starts to get a little more intriguing. Um, what's going to happen next is still the will of God. God is sovereign. So what's going to happen next? Um, it's going to seem weird to us, but it's still God's plan. You know, and keep in mind what Agabus, the remarks that, um, you know, he told Paul he was going to be bound. And that they, you know, when they said, you know, we can't persuade him. So they stopped trying to persuade him. They said, let the will of the Lord be done. And this is, real, this is going to be the will of the Lord. Verse, verses 20 and 21. It says, and when they heard it, now this is, you know, James and the guys. They glorified the Lord. And they said to him, and this is an interesting transition because you would think after hearing all of what they did, there would be a little bit more dialogue. And, I, you know, Luke kind of leaves that out, kind of jumps right to this. So it says, and they said to him, you see, brother, in talking to Paul, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. So these Jews are Jews who got converted, Okay. And they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. So what's happening is the church leaders are concerned. It's Pentecost, and there's a myriad, and that's a lot of people, a lot of converted Jews are there, but they're still zealous for the law. And there is this rumor floating around that, Paul, you're telling the Gentiles in these other cities where you've been that, you know, you don't have to, you know, to forsake the, you can forsake the law of Moses. You don't have to have um, your children circumcised. So the rumor is out there. Um, you know, and it's important to know, and I'm going to kind of highlight this, that Paul, um, Paul never, never said any of that, okay? Um, now read Galatians, and you can see Paul gives a, a reason why uh, the law was there and that it was to bring us to that place. It was like a tutor. Um, you know, but Paul, <clears throat> Paul never told them that they didn't need to circumcise their kids or anything like that. Remember, Paul circumcised Timothy before they went on um, their second missionary journey to keep peace with the Jews. So um, we'll get to that. So here's, here's, what, um, here's what Paul said to them. They, they told Paul, um, the, you know, James and, you know, the guys that he was with, um, their council there in Jerusalem, that they wanted him to um, to get into to do this um, vow with these four men. They didn't do anything to the original um, agreement they made in Acts 15 um, at the Jerusalem Jerusalem Council as it as it pertained to um, um, the Gentiles, right? That they should abstain um, from things offered to idols, you know. It's in um, Acts 15. You don't have to turn there. I got it written down here someplace, but we'll, uh, we'll get, I'll read it to you when I get that far because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. All right, so tradition tells us 
that, you know, as far as keeping some of these Jewish practices and dietary laws, that uh, James, James continued throughout um, the rest of his life, um, he continued to do some of the Jewish dietary laws and some of the traditions throughout his life. So I'm, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the Jews were, um, these, the rumors that were out there were really um, lopsided and really, um, really just so far off from being true. But obviously the, the Jewish council, I mean, the, actually James and the church, um, they wanted to try to keep the peace with, um, with these Jewish believers. So did Paul really teach against the law or did he teach the fulfillment of the law? And the question was, did he, um, was he anti-circumcision? And keep in mind, at this point in Paul's life, and in this point, and in this point in the book of Acts where we're at, some of the writings of Paul that have already been written, epistles. Well, he didn't write James, but James had already been written. Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, and Romans. So. With that said, I believe that Paul taught the fulfillment of the law and also that he wasn't, um, he wasn't against circumcision. And like I said, he circumcised Timothy because he was Jewish. He had a Greek father, but he circumcised him because he was taking him on his second missionary journey and he didn't want it to be a stumbling block for the Jewish churches that they were going to. So... And then there was another instance where he didn't circumcise Titus because he was a Gentile. So you can see that the whole, the whole thing boils down to, you know, a heart issue in the situation. You know, Timothy didn't get circumcised so he could get saved. He was saved through grace, right? We're not, circumcision doesn't save us, all right? And with, with Titus, the, the message that Paul sent with him, with him was, He's a Gentile. He doesn't need to get circumcised. He's saved by grace. So you can see that, you know, Paul was all things to all men, but he never compromised. And I want to read some sections of Scripture that really make it clear um, where Paul stands. In Galatians 3, and starting in verse 19, it says, What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But faith, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. There is a purpose for the law, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then, like I said, Timothy was circumcised before going with Paul in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul wants to keep the peace. Timothy didn't get circumcised to get saved. He already was saved. He just got circumcised because that was part of the Jewish tradition. In Acts 18, um, verse 18, we see that Paul took a vow. Um, and of course, um, part of the, some of the Jewish practices were taking vows. It says in verse 18, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, uh, for he had taken a vow. So a Jewish vow was part of the custom of some of, some of the Jewish um, rituals, customs. So Paul uh, obviously isn't anti circumcision and isn't against some of the vows taken for some of the Jewish customs. And then I kind of 1 Corinthians 9, uh, starting in verse 19, we're so familiar with these verses and, you know, it's really Paul's heart. He says, for though I am free of, from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews and to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So all of these rumors floating around aren't true about Paul. You know, and we kind of, we, we knew that. But let's drop down to verse 22 and keep going to see how this unfolds. So James says that, you know, what then, with all of these, um, these believers, these believing Jews, myriads of them, you know, what then, what are we going to do? Because he's saying they, the assembly must certainly meet, for they were here that you have come. You know, so the assembly of, you know, this group of Jewish believers are going to come together and they're going to talk about what are we going to do because Paul is here in Jerusalem. Paul is in Jerusalem, so what are we going to do about it? That's basically uh, what James is saying. They're certainly going to meet because they know you're here and they think that you're saying all this weird stuff about the law of Moses. So in verse 23 it says, Therefore, do what we tell you. 
Okay, so in other words, they're saying, Paul, we have a plan. You know, so just food for thought. I'm not saying that this is, um, this, this is it or this isn't it. But is, is this plan, as we see it unfold, is this, is this what God wanted them to do? Because it looks like they're giving in a little bit. I'm not saying they are. I'm just kind of planting the seed out there. Just something to, to think about. So he says, um, therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may um, shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. So, Paul, we got this plan. We want you to get plugged into these guys. You know, I want you to uh, pay their expenses, you know, and, and in doing this, you know, maybe it'll send a message out to the assembly of these Jewish believers that, hey, you're okay with the law. You know, you're, these rumors aren't true. So, you know, you can kind of think through this through, you know, as we're going, you know, in which way, um, you know, you think, should they, shouldn't they? Um, you know, we don't really, um, I don't know if there's a definitive answer. But in verse 25, it says, But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And if you remember, I referenced um, Acts 15. That's what they decided um, when they felt like that there should be some direction to the Gentile churches. This is what they decided. So... It's another. It's a, it's a good thing because they're not um, they're not going to compromise what they you know the directive to the Gentiles, and I think that you know that was something important for Paul. Um, so it says in verse twenty six. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce uh, the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So, you know, Paul, Paul um, goes through the process. So what, what's going to happen? Um, you know, what's, what's the outcome going to be? Um, like I said, I, don't, I, I think if this would have involved somebody's personal salvation, um, a, a, a real doctrinal issue, I think Paul would have never agreed to it. So he, you know, Paul um, agrees with it. You know, the whole plan appeared to be safe. You know, you know, appeared to be some wisdom to it. Sure, let's, um, you know, let's show the, this Jewish assembly, these believers that, you know, the rumors that they heard about Paul um, aren't true. But um, that's just not the way it's going to work out. Let's, let's drop down to um, verse Verse 27. Let's read verses 27 um, through 29. It says, Now when seven days was almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. You know, and the hymn is Paul. Okay? They were crying out, Men of Israel, help! This man 
who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place, and furthermore has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So, you know, you guys are probably familiar with the temple. Back in the New Testament times, there was an innermost court. You know, then there was, a, you know, where the Jewish men would go in. And then there was, you know, obviously the Holy of Holies where only the priests could go in. Then there was the court of the women and then the court of the Gentiles. Where they were um, accusing Paul of bringing Trimotheus into, into the actual temple. And, you know, past, um, you know, that wall of separation where um, he couldn't, um, where he wasn't supposed to go. So, and it's interesting. Let me back up just for a second. It says in verse 27, so the Jews from Asia, okay? So these Jews are probably from Ephesus. And this is just, it, this just stuck out in my mind. It's, it's not a big deal, but it's just um, an interesting thought that I thought of. You know, here they are, and it's, it's Paul by himself in the temple, and it's this group of, of Jews from Asia, from Ephesus. So there's got to be, I would, I would think there's got to be a bunch of them, right? I mean, they came to, Pente they came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So there's got to be a, a group of them. I don't know how many, but just for the heck of it, just for speculation, say 20 of them came, right? Now, there was a whole mob of them in, in Ephesus trying to kill Paul, but I don't know how many came with them. But notice what they say. It was just kind of funny. They're crying out, they cry out in verse 28, men of Israel, help. You know, it's like, what are they? I don't think they need any help. You know, they're just trying to draw attention to Paul. And keep in mind, they didn't see Trimotheus in the temple, you know, in the temple at all with him. You know, and Paul wouldn't, certainly wouldn't bring him into the temple because he knew he couldn't. But it just seemed kind of funny that, you know, you know, they're calling out for help when there's probably a, a group of them that could have very easily did whatever they need to do to bring Paul to, like, the Jewish elders or whatever to, you know, to reprimand him for being in the temple. But, you know, that's what happens when you jump to conclusions, Right? And that's exactly what they did. You know, they saw Paul in the temple, and they just supposed, they assumed that Trimophimus was with them. So here we go, you know, where, where Paul is just, okay, God, you know, the, James and, and the guys came up with this plan. It, it seemed like an okay plan, so let's go for it. And now all of a sudden, they're just getting ready to close the deal. They're getting ready to, it's the seventh day of this vow, and they're, ready to close it out, and all of a sudden, here comes these, you know, these guys from Asia, from Ephesus, these Jews, and they see him in the temple, and they assume that because Paul is there, he brought this Gentile in with him. And you know what? Um, jumping to conclusions um, is, not, <laughs> is not a good thing to do. Um, we're going to see in verse 37, we, won't, we might not get there tonight, but Lysias, the commander of um, 
the, the Jewish army that's in Jerusalem is going to jump to a conclusion thinking that Paul is an Egyptian rebel. But we're going to see that that could have almost ended up bad for him. But jumping to conclusions, what does it say in James? In James 1, verses 19 through 20, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And in verse 13 of Proverbs 18, it says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You know, jumping to conclusions. Guys, don't jump to conclusions. You know, you might see something, you might hear something, but you know what? Be slow to speak and slow, you know, just quick to hear. You know, Proverbs, you know, don't answer a matter before you hear it. You know, it seems kind of logical, right? It makes sense, but that's not what um, that's not what these Jews from Asia did. And you know, think about it. There is no love loss between them and Paul. I mean, two chapters ago, they wanted to to take him out and kill him, and now they see him in the temple, and it's almost like, hey, you know what? Let's just make this accusation against them, and. We're going to see towards the end of the chapter, they're nowhere to be found when, um, when Lysias is looking for an explanation as to how this whole thing started. So, you know, this is, you know, jumping to conclusions. You know, these guys, their emotions were running full speed, but their brains were in neutral. You know, they, you know, they, they just wanted to see, you know, they missed out getting Paul earlier. Now they get another opportunity. Um, it wasn't a good thing. So in verses 30 through 34, it says, And then all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, that poor Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, you know, here's Paul. He's in, taking this vow of trying to be with these guys. He wants to clear the air and get in good, you know, keep relationships, you know, on, you know, good with between the the Jewish believers in the church and the Gentile church. And it seems like, from, for all intents and purposes, that this whole thing is blowing up. But God's hand is still in this. Okay? So they were seeking to kill him. News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And follow this guy throughout the rest of the book of Acts. I believe that um, Claudius Lysias, the commander, get is a Christian by the time Paul gets to Rome. It's, a, it's just amazing what this guy experiences um, as a Roman, uh, a Roman commander. So um, the garrison, um, the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. <laughs> It's a good idea when they see like 200 Roman soldiers heading your way. Um, it's a good idea uh, to stop beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took Paul and commanded him to be bound with two change, chains and asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when they could not ascertain uh, the truth because of the tumult, um, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. 
So they want the dragon Paul out of the temple. They want to kill him again. But, you know, the Antonio Fortress, they could actually see certain parts of the temple. They could, you know, have a, really a good eye as to what's going on in that area. So the word gets back to them, or somebody could have seen it from the tower. Um, there's at least that. There's at least a thousand Roman soldiers there. Um, when there's a commander, the commander is usually over a thousand. Centurions are usually over a hundred. So the commander sends two centurions. So he's probably sending two centurions and two hundred Roman soldiers to find out um, what's going on. And this is like one of those, you know, things might get weird when you're in um, the will of God, but God is always there. You know, God is always there to make a way. And Lysias doesn't know it yet, but God is using him to save Paul's life and get him to where God wants him. Yeah, this guy has no idea. He's doing his job. He has no idea. He doesn't even know who Paul is. But he, God is going to use him. And it's just amazing. And I mean, you guys see the just how God's hand is in all of this. And when it looks like it's blowing up, no, God's hand is still in it. You know, he's still, he's, he's, his plan is still going. You know, and sometimes we get sidetracked when things get a little weird or a little uncomfortable and we're not quite sure, and then we panic in the will of God. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you start to, if you're uncertain about something and you know God's speaking to your heart, and you know what? Hey, fast, pray, get into the word, seek the Lord. He's faithful. He'll show you. So back to, to Lysias, right? So the commander, so Lysias interrogates the people. He can't get an explanation. And it, that kind of makes sense. When there's a riot and people just get pulled into the excitement of it all, they have no idea how it started sometimes. And the people that started it, they're nowhere to be found. So they probably said, hey, you know what? We're out of here because here comes 200 Roman soldiers, and this is not going to work out good for us. Because, you know, back then, if you made an accusation and it was proven false, you, you were held responsible for that. And in some instances, under Roman law, you could, be, you could be killed for that, executed. So these guys are gone, probably halfway back to Ephesus, <laughs> By the time the Romans got there, right? So, um, let's see. All right, let's read verses thirty. Let's yeah, let's read a few more verses. Okay, so they they have Paul. They got him. Now they have him bound with two chains, and it says when they had reached the stairs, um, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So it's it's pretty intense. Um, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him, away with him. You know, and you, you know, we've heard those words before back in John 19 and Luke 23 uh, when they were shouting away with Jesus. Verse 37, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to Lysias, the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins 
out into the wilderness. So, like I said, Lysias has no idea who this is. He thinks this Egyptian back in A.D. 54 had led this uprising, ends up on, um, I forgot the name of the mountain. I'll tell you in a second. He ends up on the Mount of Olives promising to his, his followers that he's going to speak these words and the walls in Jerusalem are going to fall in and they're, you know, they're going to overtake um, the Roman army and they're going to take um, you know, Jerusalem back. So obviously, you know, that's, you know, that is never going to happen. But um, they end up, most of his followers are killed, but he's, um, he escapes with a few, uh, a few of his followers. So what Lysias is thinking is that the crowd thinks that this guy is, is, is this Egyptian or one of his followers, and now that they've captured him, now they, you know, they want blood, right, for what he's done. But Amelisius is going to find out. That's what he's saying. He says, aren't you the Egyptian? So kind of picture this dialogue between Lysias and Paul. And it's just amazing to see that, um, you, know, Paul, you know, Paul's not this rebel. He's not this assassin. Um, so they... They carry, and once again, jumping to conclusions, right? Lysias jumps to conclusions thinking he's an Egyptian, not getting a little bit more information from Paul. And we'll see towards um, the end of chapter 22 when Lysias finds out that Paul's a Roman citizen. Um, you know, he, it, it's a real uncomfortable situation for Lysias then because he could be in a heap of trouble. Uh, for what he did, but God is gracious, though. It's just, it's amazing. So he, he gets Paul to the barracks, and, you know, Paul, instead of saying, hey, you know, get me out of here, you know, like these people are crazy, um, we see in verses 39 through 40, it says, but Paul said, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus um, in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. You know, Paul doesn't want to get out. He still wants, I mean, he still wants to speak to the people. That's Paul's heart. So it says, when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and we're going to pick that up again in the next chapter. All right, but one thing I want to leave you with, you know, and like this is, like the last part of um, this, the show for tonight. And now next week when you go back and turn this program on, this is what's going to be happening. Remember, Lysias, he has no idea what has happened. But he, he's, he's respons- he has responsibilities to people over him. You know, and he has to fill out a report. And he has to fill out all, you know, he has to answer to somebody over him. And, you know, the Roman army, they took that stuff really serious. So, I mean, this is a big deal for him. So Paul is saying, hey, let me speak to the people. And Lysias is probably thinking, hey, you know what? This will be good. I'll let him speak to the people, and I'll get a real good feel for what happened, what's going on. So when I write this report, it could be really detailed. This is what happened. I let this guy, you know. But... When Paul starts to speak, 
he starts speaking in Hebrew. Well, guess what? Lysias doesn't know Hebrew, right? So now, this is where we leave him. Like, you know, the camera kind of fades away, and here's Lysias thinking, oh, man, now what? You know, because he has no idea what Paul is saying. But as soon as the crowd hears him speak in Hebrew, everybody is like, everybody starts to listen. You know, and then that's the Lord again. The Lord quiets the crowd down so Paul can get the message to them. But at the same time, things are going to work out for Lysias. And read ahead a little bit because he's an interesting guy and he sees an awful lot happen when he's with Paul. You know, unbelievable. I mean, I really believe in my heart that he's saved. He's in glory right now with Paul. They're probably talking about some of that stuff, right? All right, so anyway, we're going to stop there. And I think, um, you know what, Thursday night, I'm going to be teaching, filling in for Pastor Rob. So we'll pick up in Acts 22, um, Thursday night. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your word. And, and Lord, um, uh, thank you for giving us these, um, these, these beautiful pictures of, um, you know, your hand and, and the church and, uh, Lord, your faithfulness, even when things look like um, they're not going to turn out the way that, um, you know, that, that we expect. But yet we see your hand, Lord. And, and, Lord, you use anyone that you want, when you want. Um, you're God. And it, it's just amazing to see that. And I pray, God, that we would allow this to translate into our lives today, that um, regardless of what we see Regardless of what we hear, your will is still going to be accomplished. Your word is true. There's, um, you know, there's no doubt about it, Lord. And um, I pray that as we see um, your will unfold in Paul's life here and um, in Lysias and, you know, these people that are going to interact with Paul um, as he makes his way uh, to, to Rome, Lord, that, um, you know, he's going to get to where you want him to be. Uh, in ways that, you know, he probably never thought or we would have never thought either. So, God, it's just just such a, um, a faith builder for us that when things look like they're not going the way we think, that your hand is there and that you're going to guide and lead us. So we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you get these guys home safe. Just give them traveling mercies home. Lord, bless the rest of our evening. And uh, Lord, should you tarry, we just pray for just a beautiful day in you tomorrow. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.